join me on my perch at the far end of the bar. And just mm -hmm. before you joined us, Benny and I were talking about things that you find in the fridge. Yeah. Now, before we go any further, for health and safety reasons and to stop the authorities turning up here at the Rat and Thistle, I need to make sure that people understand that what we're going to talk about is at home. At home. And not in the kitchen of the of the pub. Which is pristine. But yeah, you could fry an egg on that. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> everything in Luckily. that kitchen, everything <laughs> in that kitchen that looks like mould is actually penicillin. Yeah, or blue cheese. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying that, that I was looking for something in the back of the, the, the drawer in the fridge, and uh, there I come across in a little uh, little plastic cup two mushrooms which are liquefied. Uh, Parts of them are liquefied. It, it makes you do that, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I don't like uh, it. I mean, you've got to be a bit careful with the old fungus anyway, but I, mm. I you know. Yeah. And what do they grow mushrooms in? In uh, earth. No, they don't. They say, um... Oh, no. Uh, they grown grow in, in a sterile environment. Yeah, and you can... I was watching something the other day, and some chap had set up a fantastically successful build, uh, business um, growing oh, mushrooms in porter cabins. Oh, I saw that. It was the cabins. hairy bikers. Two fine fellas. May well have been, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, in a porter cabin, right? You know, a, a shipping container. Yeah, in his garage, in his mum's garage, he'd set up this mushroom farm for exotic. Yeah. Yes, it was great, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, using what's that they use now? Um, when they they can grow things underground as well, can't they? Subterranean. Um, yeah. What's the what's the? Um, oh, it'll come to me in a bit. Are Don't we worry. talking about hydroponics? Hydroponics. That's, That's where it, you yeah. you you grow it without it touching the ground. I've been through. Yeah, and it, and you recycle the water. Yeah. And you and use special mats that aren't um, that you can grow things on. <laughs> I've really in-depth knowledge of this as, stuff. As you can tell, we are scientists, uh, and our speciality is food. <laughs> if you if you go to Epcot, which you never will because you won't get on a plane these days. No, nope. but if you if you go to Epcot, um, there's lots of kind of futuristic things that were set up when Epcot was built. But you have to, what is that? What Epcot? Yeah. Uh, it's it's Disney. Okay. Um, it's one of the Disney parks, right? But it was kind of set up um, as a kind of futuristic thing hmm. um, when it was built. And, of course, a lot of the things that were futuristic when it was set up are now quite old-fashioned. But, okay. but, you know, it's still a fascinating place to go to. And the fireworks on on, uh, on an evening are second to none. Yeah. Uh, eat your heart out, Australia, New hmm. Year's Eve. Uh, but and this happens every night. But they have um, the land and the sea and a test track and a mission to Mars and all this stuff. And you can actually take a drive. You get in this little cart and you take a drive through the hydroponic garden. And there's all this stuff growing, mm -hmm. and they serve it all in the in the restaurants. Mm -hmm. How is that possible? All these things are hanging, but they're not touching the ground. There's no roots. Yeah. How does it work? Vertically. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's your fellow with his mushrooms in his mum's garden, isn't it? Yeah. It was very good as well. Anyway, yeah. back to your liquefied mushrooms in oh, the back yeah. of the fridge. I was just saying, we were just saying that, you know, when, when, you, when you forget that something's been there and it starts to really go from mm. the inside. Oh. And I think the worst ones are the cucumbers. Because they look all right from yeah, the outside. Yeah, they look right from the outside. Because the skins, and then you pick them up and they just sort of... Squish. In oh, your hand. Oh, 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 o
Yeah, every time. I mean, it doesn't happen often. No, of course not. <laughs> In these straightened but times, when it when it used to happen, um, <laughs> yeah, no, n- not uh, not yes. optimal. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I was gonna, I was going to say to you, um, last time we spoke, I think we talked about. Um, Actually, just after we, we uh, just after I cleared off, I stuck my head back in the pub and said, "Hey, <laughs> next time, could, do you know where football songs come from? Where they come from? What do you mean? When were they first ever sung, or where do they? Well, where do no, the songs that people sing these days originate? The, yeah, the, the, it's the new ones because there's mm. the traditional, there's traditional football songs that seemingly every single fan at every club knows." Mm. And then there's the um, new ones. It's of the, the new time. ones, and and there are some fantastic. I know live. I mean, uh, stop me if I mention Liverpool Football Club, but there are they do come up with some fantastic, funny songs. Well, let's as you said, stop you <laughs> when you mentioned Liverpool Football Club because Liverpool fans have this um, fantastical idea that they're the only ones who come up with anything witty ever. Not and at it's all. It's just not true, I'm afraid. Not at it's all. It's not true. So <laughs> not a- let's move on past that before we this descends into a bitter <laughs> argument. Harmonious <laughs> argument between a Liverpool and an Everton fan. Yeah. yeah. So my what my theory is about where the songs come from is, and I know for a fact... Um, that this used to be the case at Manchester United, and I imagine at plenty of other clubs. Yeah. There was a particular dude who was very good at coming up with um, songs um, about the latest events that had happened or a particular player they were facing that day or you know whatever it may have been. And there was a pub where he'd go, and before the games he'd get up on the piano and he'd get everyone's attention, and after a while they'd all sort of wait for him to do it, and he'd sing the song that he'd come up with. So and then the pub would learn it, and then enough people had learned it by this point that by the time they got to Old Trafford and started singing it in the ground, there was enough people to make it heard. Other people understood and uh, learned the words, and then it becomes a terrace anthem. But this is a strange choir phenomenon, isn't it? Mm. Because if that if that is the case, that a small group of people learn it, and then they take it to the to the ground and they start singing it, and then everybody else kind of. <laughs> Uh, and then kind of joins in. I mean, I can't learn the words of a song off the radio if I've heard it seven times. No, but let guess... alone on hearing it once on the terraces at a football ground. Football chants aren't necessarily always that complicated, are they? So, no, they, well, no, no, but there are United, the... If you yeah. think of the classic one for them, it might be uh, "Ooh Ah Cantona" to the French anthem, and those are the, that's it. Those are the words. Yeah. "Ooh Ah Cantona." Like yeah, but it, it's decent. more that the, the 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 songs that have a verse and a chorus, mm. <laughs> for want of a better term, that fascinate I think me because kind of because rare and because even if you've got your man in the pub uh, with his piano teaching a like-minded group of people a new song, mm. how did it work before the internet? How did it work? I mean, was it was it? Always thus was it, you know, one guy would come up with it. We don't know the answer to this, do we? No, We're just it's a, postulating. But it makes sense, though, that, you know, either that sort of thing happened, somebody came up with it in the pub one evening and then enough people heard it and, and remembered it for the next game, or perhaps it's one particular chap has come up with an idea for a song and has the cojones to stand up in the middle of a crowd mm. and start singing it, 
and yeah. hope that a few of his mates join in, and then it spreads a lot among the terraces from there. But you don't get that. You don't get, for example, at cricket, you don't get chances. Well, you do, I suppose, with um, these days, you do. But, I mean, you know, you, you don't get uh, Billy Watts-his-face playing the trumpet one week and then a whole band turns up the next week, do they? Ebo's to the left, <laughs> yeah. Ebo's to the right. <laughs> that chap with the moustache, his bowling is... Yes, Not right. well, there you are, you see. There you are. Yeah, I was proved wrong, of course. Cricket has moved on. Rugby, not so much, I think. Pretty much swing low, isn't it, for the English? Oh, yeah. Bread of heaven for the, for the Welsh. Welsh. Oh. And the, the Welsh, hymns they, and arias. They love a song. There's no, I think there are no finer uh, audio treats in sport than the French singing their national anthem before a game. Yeah. Topped. Just about by the Always Welsh. reminds me of Casablanca, that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you, you're not familiar with the film Casablanca. I mean, I've seen it, but about 30 right. years ago. In Rick's bar, um, a, a fight breaks out, and uh, in order... Uh, the, the, I think the, the, the Germans come in and raid the place, and in order to kind of stop the fight, they start playing the French national anthem, so everybody stands up and salutes mm. and stops the fighting. Well, yes. what a great way of stopping fighting. Yeah, Just play a national anthem, Mr. I'm Putin. Not, I'm not sure that would work. No, I'm not sure it would depends work which either, national anthem Wouldn't it played. be great if... It confused I, I came up with another way Putin of stopping... Putin suddenly started playing the French national anthem over loudspeakers on the front line. Everyone would be like, uh, what? Um, why, why is he doing that? Yeah. <laughs> I did come up with another way um, to stop fighting many years ago. Mm. Um, when well, there was a lot of kind of what used to be called aggro around... Now, the papers were full of it. Boot boys and aggro. Mm. And my idea was to issue everyone, every male, with a bowler. A bowler mm -hmm. hat and an umbrella. Because I don't think you can have a pylon if you are wearing a bowler hat and carrying an umbrella. I think you're uh, basically handing... People weapons. No, 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 no. Just I think start you'll find smacking that people around the head with the umbrellas. The English gentleman inside every single one of them will come <laughs> out, <laughs> and they'll be they'll be looking for a chrysanthemum to put in their Hold lapel. On. I'm going to just make a note of this in the top ten of ridiculous things you've ever said to me. This is no, going I quite think, near I the top. The bowler hat. No, <laughs> there's only yeah the top ten of a thousand. There's only. There's only so much that an English gentleman can do wearing a bowler well, hat. And I know you've got, from the Avengers, you've got John Steed with an umbrella. Actually, <clears> this is all falling apart now, isn't it? Because he wore a, wore a bowler hat and carried an umbrella with a sword stick in it. And here's the main problem I have with the idea of an English gentleman these days. Yes. It conjures up an image of Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yes, indeed. But when was the last time you saw him in a scrap? <laughs> well, there was that little bit of footage, wasn't there? Um, and um, somebody got a bit irate at one of his rallies or something, you know, one of his pub politics. I don't know what it was. Um, wasn't it his stand-up uh, tour? I think his nanny stopped it, if I remember uh, right. Ah, yes, came and spanked his body. Mm, yeah. Yes. Um, let's see if we can... I'm going to set myself a little challenge to see if I can come up with a um, a football chant for Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, that will be fun. Well, well, we'll tune in next time and hear yeah. Ben's football chant for Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yeah, I can't write on those bits of paper. They're important. Hold on, let me find this. Oh, hang on. Jacob. He's writing on his uh, 
It's tax return now. Yeah, no, I can't do that apparently. Not Have you paid all time. your taxes? Um, of course, yeah. Mm, yep. As far yep. as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. every single penny I owe. Every last cent. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> A friend of mine the other day uh, pointed me towards uh, the Twitter sphere where someone had, an author, had posted a sad little story about the fact mm-hmm. that they turned up at a book signing for their latest book and only two people oh. had turned up. I mean, in fairness, twice as many people that listen to this, so there's that. Well, there is, there is that. <laughs> uh, and we don't have to sign anything. <laughs> um, but the thing was that um, this had uh, inspired many, many authors uh, to come on and say, the similar things that they they'd only had one person turn up or <laughs> that they had no people turn up at all i particularly liked the story of from, from the chap who said um uh it was only after i'd signed 20 books that i realized that um they were all staff <laughs> all the staff had been asked to go and put their coats on it was a big store all the staff had been asked to go and put their wow. coats on and line up so as i didn't feel too bad Mm. And it, it was only as he was leaving that he realised that uh, he'd just been signing books for them. And then, of course, they'd just gone straight back on the uh, bookshelves or yeah. on the pile, but they were they were mm. signed by the author. But it Lucky did remind dip. me, I've, I've never uh, had the situation where I, I sat there at a table with a pile of my books because I've never written... Uh, uh, well, I've, I've written a few books, but they were all kind of quiz books and things. Mm. Um, but I've never written something which you know people would want to... Have my signature. I I have. Have you? Oh, yeah, oh, yes, I've you signed have. the book. Now you should tell us about your book. Is it still still available? I've no idea. <laughs> well, I, what I do know is actually, um, yeah, I don't want to go into too many details, but I, ha- I had to write a book as part of a job I once had. Yes. Um, about aromatics, um, as in you know essential oils and smelly candles and mm. all that malarkey. Imagine being asked to write write a book about smelly candles. Mm, It took me a while because it took a lot of research. And um, I had a co-author, Zoe. Um, And so anyway, um, I think we sold, I think they printed, if I remember rightly, they printed about 10,000. Because initially they were all going to go over to China for some reason. I lost track of it all. Um, But they never did. And so last I heard, there were about 9,968 on pallets left uh, in the warehouse. Uh, and what they've started doing, you can buy them in the um, Amphora Aromatics shop on Cotton Hill in Bristol. Yeah. And what I know is that when you sign up to become a wholesale customer of theirs, um, they send you a pack, part of which is the book what I wrote. <laughs> ben or books. <laughs> ben yeah. or and Zoe. And it, listen, if you have a copy of the book and you'd like me to sign it, tough, I'm not going to. He will be available near a lighted <laughs> candle somewhere soon. <laughs> anyway, you were saying, having never written a book apart from quiz books, nothing no, that you needed I, to sign I, anyway. I've never never had to sign, so I've never had to go through the ignominy of not having anyone turn up at a book signing, but I have had the ignominy of being part of a band who played to an empty room. Oh, I've done that as well. Let's swap those stories. You first. Uh, it was uh, Swindon, Mm. It was, uh, I think, a midweek, possibly a Thursday. Yeah. 
It was in the middle of the biggest storm I can ever remember. It was a tremendous storm. And um, we'd phoned up earlier on and we'd, we'd said, uh, everything all right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. No problem. We're opening as normal. Was it the Michael Fish storm? <laughs> no, it wasn't. No. Mm. Uh, this would have been... Oh, no, it would have been quite some time before that. This would have been 76. Okay. All right. The big store well, of 76 in Swindon. Little, uh, uh, just a little, uh, a little brief aside. What were you wearing? Uh, in full detail, please. Uh, well, I'll tell you what I was wearing on stage yeah, when we get to that point. So, okay. so we phone up and say, uh, and we were in the mid-1970s. Mm. I was, uh, for a very short time, part of a show band. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, a show band. And, and the, the, the whole idea of the show band was that you would get a whole show with just without, without having to book like lots of different acts so we would do some comedy there would be music and you know, okay. all, all of that so it was it was that was how it worked that's what we were so we phone up and say are you still everything okay oh yes we are opening as normal so we get there there is no one on the streets of swindon anywhere we drive straight through all those roundabouts and everything mm. no no sign of any person it is just chugging it down okay so we arrive at venue nice venue mm, mm-hmm. nice to be playing the place like this on mm. a thursday evening during a tremendous yeah. storm mm-hmm. uh, and we uh, we go in lug all the stuff upstairs uh, nobody around um uh, uh when i say no punters around there, there were a couple of bar staff um and we we oh yes yeah well we're, we're expecting them later on okay no mm. problem at all you know we, we go on an hour later you'll be okay so we, we go in, we set up. Uh, I think at the time I was wearing a green velvet jacket. Yes. With a frilly shirt. This is the stuff I live for. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah. Like Austin and Powers. Back in fashion again now. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple in my wardrobe. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we set up and we wait for the hour and... I mean, literally, no one in the club. No one. The bar staff, are, you know, and, and there weren't many bar staff. They're finding their nails and talking very quietly. Uh, and then an hour, another hour passes. It's now ten o'clock, right? Yeah. There's no no bugger in the club at all. Nobody's so, coming at that point either. No, really. and it was obvious, you know. And we're going. Well, this is stupid, you know. We just, you know. So uh, we, the band leader went off to talk to the manager and the manager came over and he said look you know I'm paying good money he said I don't mind paying for you but you got to do it like mm. I said do what well you got to play but there's nobody here just for him yeah well you know I, I wouldn't feel right if I just paid you for nothing but if you mm. you know you've made the effort to come in you have to do a couple of sets a couple of sets, two hours. <laughs> you talk to nobody. Well, I'll play one set then. We played one set to the bar star. Mm. And the annoying thing was, that sod wasn't even in the room. <laughs> the manager, what, he, what didn't even appear. Not once. I Not like even to give us a thumbs up or smile or, you know, ironically, oh, well, you know. It's a way to pass yeah. an evening in Swindon when it's chucking it down with rain and nobody's turned out. Huh. Didn't I, even come in the room. I and think, we did get our money. 
Good. And I think that actually what you did was you helped him sleep that night because he went to bed with a clear conscience. Did he? You feeling reckon? that he had paid for a service and received it. He did. You know, that's that's a good feeling, isn't it? I, th- I think he got blood that night. <laughs> I think we were the stone and he got blood. So I we now I was I was in a few bands when I was younger. One of which was called Bob Dob. And we were um, a sort of punk indie pop rap outfit. Large, With a side uh, of country? We didn't have any country, although if I had my way, we would have done. Yeah. Um, so we turned up to do a gig at the Mauritania in Bristol oh, one yes. evening, yeah. which is now um, some sort of cafe restaurant, I think. And um, used to be in the in the back bar, used to do your gigs there. Had some decent nights in there over the years, but on this particular occasion... Our support act didn't turn up. So not only did we support ourselves and then do the headline uh, slot, yeah. but in between time, basically what we did was we played the... Uh, the We didn't have any songs. So the support slot, we played our set this one way and then we reversed it for the, <laughs> for the headline set. And in between times... There were so few people in the venue that we were able to have a game of football oh. <laughs> <laughs> during the changeover. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. You're just mentioning the, the, the country. You carry the... on, though, don't you? You carry well, on yeah, for the love do. of rock. Yeah. You oh, know, well, just tre- treat it as a rehearsal. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, with punk rock, you, you'd need some people for the energy, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, only one of the songs was punk rock. Right, okay. we, had, we also had a ballad. That was the one where everybody detuned. Yeah, we had, yeah, where we, the we, drummer took the melody. We we, we had a ballad. Um, oh, right. We had uh, two raps. We had um, a song about pot noodles. Um, <laughs> yeah, all sorts. <laughs> See, and people were thinking, well, how is he going to make a football chant up about Jacob Rees-Mogg? <laughs> this man is the man who wrote a song about pot noodles. <laughs> now, come on. <laughs> uh, I I can't attribute this this the next thing I'm going to say because I can't remember who it was but but just off the back of talking about country music and then you know you you playing everything except country music this was a tremendously well known musician whose name escapes me totally heard heard this on the radio he said we were booked to pay a, a, a gig one night before we were famous but mm. you know. He said, and um, we had a very tight set, and we turn up, and everybody's in cowboy gear. Mm. Everybody's got the Stetsons and the you know, every all the boots and everything. Yeehaw. Uh He <laughs> he said, "Well, um, we're not." <laughs> um, and then before he said, "We're not country," mm. he has a dig in the ribs by his mate. He said, "Don't worry, don't worry." So what? How hard did, can it be? this is what they did. So they did everything that they normally do, but they did it country. Wow. And I just thought, oh, that's that's just brilliant. He said we had a great night. I mean, there are bands that literally do that now. For, oh, yeah. You know, they do um, a country hoedown, but it's all, you know, wham songs. And yeah. Duran, Duran, I'm really up with all the, the latest uh, acts here. Duran Duran and Sade, that sort of <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear a country version of a Sade song. <laughs> I love his king. But but I mean, there are a number of bands uh, that do uh, alternative 
versions, and not just a cover, but a, mm. you know, an entirely different genre of music. And I think there's a guy called Scott Bradley uh, who has a postmodern orchestra mm. who basically does um, very modern songs in a kind of 1930s, 40s style. And he mm. plays stride piano. And it's brilliant. It really is sensational. I remember you having um, um, an infatuation with Paul Anker. Paul Anker, yes. Back in the day as well, right? He did yeah, a few he, of those, didn't he? he? Paul Anker had written many a fine song. Um, popped up in the, what, in the early 90s with an album called, um, uh, oh gosh, what was it called? Something Rocks. It was uh, Pop Rocks or Rock Rocks yeah, or Rocks. No, Rock Swings. There you go. Rock Swings. That rock Swings, that's what it was. So he'd basically taken uh, Nirvana songs and Zeppelin songs mm. and made them into big band songs. And again, you wouldn't think that Jump would work as... Uh, as a as a swing band arrangement, but boy oh boy did it ever! Yeah, you would never. Well, you would never have known if it'd gone the other way. You would never have known, you know, if that, that would have been um, the original, and then they'd rocked it up. They'd go, oh, I'm not sure about that, but it's terrific. But also, Pat Boone, before Paul Anker, Pat Boone, who'd, who'd been a big star in the 1950s, uh, and then kind of spent most of the rest of his singing career. Uh, dedicating his songs uh, to the Lord God Almighty. Um, mm. he, that was his niche. Um, came out with an album. He did Stairway to Heaven. Mm. Pat Boone does Stairway to Heaven as a big band song. And it, it kind of, I mean, my mate Steve, who is the biggest Led Zeppelin fan uh, outside of anybody in the Led Zeppelin family, mm. um, would balk at this. Of course. It sounds horrific, if I'm honest. Well, because I'll listen I, to it. I'll give it a try once. Give it a, yeah, yeah, but I, th I think you. Yeah, I think you have to have an ear that appreciates big band music. I, I like a bit of big band. If you like big band music, then I I see no reason why you shouldn't go and find Pat Boone mm. singing "Stairway to Heaven" and enjoy it. Okay, I'll approach it with an open mind. Yes, and I'll report and you'll back along with my Jacob with, uh, with the kettle next time I see you. Do you remember um, the one that springs into my mind is, um, I think it was called, he was called Mike Flowers Pops. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he did the cover of, he was like a lounge jazz singer, right? Yeah. And he did the cover of Wonderwall. Yes, he did. And um, when I can't sleep or I'm having, you know, a particularly... That will be the one you put on. Bad mental health day. <laughs> this is what <laughs> repeats in my head <laughs> again and again and again. And yeah, it doesn't all, always work. I mean, yeah. You're my wonder wall. No, yeah. no, it doesn't help at all. It makes things yeah. way worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I can't shift it. Doesn't Get out! Work. Get out doesn't of my head. Work. Horrible. Yeah. But then, <clears throat> then you take a country song and you turn it into a big ballad, um, as Whitney Houston did with mm. Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. Yeah. And they and are. Dolly there are different yeah. songs, but they're but, way different. Oh, Dolly's version, I've always preferred. Oh, actually, well, personally. I, I love that. I mean, I, Whitney's is a thing of, like you know, outstanding production and what a voice yeah, and yeah. Um, with real feeling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's something just that little bit more intimate. Yes, about Dolly's. I, well, I think the, the Dolly's songwriting is 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 a thing to love and cherish. Mm. You know, far into the future, long after she's gone, people will be playing her songs. 
I've mentioned before that I work at Glastonbury every year, and one of my highlights of all time was watching Dolly yeah. perform on the Pyramid stage to the biggest crowd I've ever seen in front of the Pyramid stage, including the Rolling Stones. I think it was bigger for Dolly. I really do. Really? And she was just, just brilliant. She just had us all in the palm yeah. of her from the first second to the last. She also, amazing. I mean, apart from being a tremendous philanthropist, I mean, you know, she's done mm. so much good for so many people. Um, mm. She she also has a folksy way about her, you know, Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and all of that, but a folksy mm. way about her where she can spin a story um, mm. which makes her seem like an ordinary gal, you know. I was listening to her talking to Ian Payne. Remember oh, yeah. Ian Payne, the sports guy, who yeah. now works on ITV and LBC. Well, back in the day, he was kind of lead sports guy on BBC Radio 5 Live. And uh, whoever was doing the afternoon show moved on. And they asked Ian Payne to do it. Or Ian Payne stuck his hand up and said, I'll do that. Very good, you know. Um, he got to interview Dolly Parton. And I just thought, this, oh, this is going to be good because, you know, you've got a sports guy uh, with all that sports sensibility and you've got Dolly Parton. What a lovely conversation that was. But the thing about uh, uh, my point is that she can talk to anyone and feel, mm. make them feel as though uh, you've known her all, all your life and she's known mm. you all of her life. Yeah. She just has a way of, of being every person. She has a universality. That's the word I'm striving for. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. That Dolly has a universality about her. She has the ability to make everyone feel good. And if there's anybody out there who doesn't feel good about Dolly Parton, sod off. <laughs> right, you can you can write to us and explain why, uh, if you like. <laughs> I I think after probably my uh, my little suggestion there, they no probably one already will be gone. To us no. about Dolly Parton. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think so. Um, right, so. Um, Drink? Um, yes, I. Ooh. Now, I, I, I think, and, and whether or not you can, you can supply me with this drink oh. is another matter. You, you come in here for weeks on end, don't buy a drink, and you finally get round to ordering one, and your first words are, "I don't know if you'll be able to get it for me." Well, brilliant. I fancy. I was watching, watching a, um, a drama the other evening on Disney mm. Plus. Okay. The Chippendales, or Welcome to the Chippendales. Oh, which yeah. Is, which is, which is a, a, a slight thing, but quite interesting. And um, one of the people went to the bar in this yeah. and ordered a pink squirrel. <laughs> and I wondered, I wondered if I might tempt myself with a pink squirrel. A pink have you, squirrel. Have you, have you got such a thing? Could you make up such a thing? I mean, I could make something up and tell you it's a pink squirrel. That's not a problem. That, very much it'll be an actual pink squirrel, though. Apparently, they were very popular in the um, in the early 70s. Were they? Mm. What? Um, I can't even begin to imagine what's in a pink squirrel. Um, well, I did, mm, this is... This, I, I, did, I did look it up because um, I was... I was Interesting. I've never heard of a pink squirrel before. And you Apparently, you'll we'll never know what the hell that is. So I better tell him. <laughs> you'll need some um, heavy cream. Uh, okay. You'll need some <laughs> freshly grated nutmeg. Oh yeah, I'll just pop out the back. Yeah. You'll need some creme de cocoa liqueur. 
Mm. And you'll need, and this is where it might get difficult for you, three quarters of an ounce of creme de noyau liqueur. Right. This is red, which gives it its... So when you mix it with the cream and everything, this gives it its pink colour. The creme de noyau. Okay, so heavy cream. Yes. What does that mean? It double. means cream that's heavy. It's mm. probably double cream. Yeah. Grated nutmeg? Great, freshly grated nutmeg. I don't I'll want none of up. your uh, pre-grated yeah, nutmeg I'll rubbish. I'll, I'll throw away the old... Creme de cocoa. Creme de cocoa. Yeah. And the one that you might find difficult. I don't know whether you've got it on the shelf here creme at Rem Tissel. The creme de noya. Let me just... Hold on. Have a look. Is, he's going to go on. He's going to go I'm just going to have a look, look in the, uh, now, in the he, back bar. He, <coughs> see what I can find. There'll be some creme de menthe there. Oh, yeah. There's some heavy cream. He's got the and heavy cream. Grated nutmeg. Oh, he's... What? Oh. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. He sneezed all over something. Oh, I think I'm having some nutmeg sweats. That went right on my nose. <laughs> but no creme de noya. No, I've got the cacao. Oh. But not the noya. No. It, it reminds me, let's, uh, to neatly finish off where we started with the old uh, football chat. Yes. Uh, my favourite ever commentary line, Alan Green, commentating on the Germans... Error, no error. <laughs> Brilliant. And on that bombshell, <laughs> I'm going to say reservoir. See you next week. Cheers. Bye. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. Find the fellas on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or send them an email. It's thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Most importantly, spread the word. Tell your friends and enemies, colleagues and family about this amazing podcast you've been listening to. We'll love you forever. Forever.